if they want to be part of the community, you need to support the community, not just feed off the community. Welcome to the Under the Mask podcast, where we discuss the super process behind superheroes. Not just superheroes, aliens, horror, thrillers. If you can find it on a comics page, you can find it here. Here, you'll learn how to make comics from the initial outlines, scripts, and artwork to printing and putting the final book in a bag and board. For many years, Bill Colomb has written his book, Kinetic, and sold thousands of copies across the nation. And now we're inviting you along for an inside look to the comics process. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you're in the right place. This is the Under the Mask Podcast, and this is Bill Colomb. Under the Mask Podcast, episode 42. What happens when your average run-of-the-mill comic book geek gains superpowers? We'll find out in this episode. I hope you had a happy and safe new year. I'm excited for 2021 and the new opportunities I hope are on the horizon. For me, and for a lot of us, I don't think it could get much worse than what 2020 threw our way. I want to remind you that we're launching a Kickstarter for the Under the Mask podcast. This is going to be a quick campaign, and we've got awesome reward tiers like custom USBs and chances to lock in a guest spot this year. If you're a fan of Under the Mask and want to support this podcast and this campaign, head over to www.underthemaskpodcast.com. I'd really appreciate it. And now, let's get to today's guest. My guest today is a comic book artist and colorist, best known for his work on Broke Down and Four Dead Bodies. He's also the founder of Hooligan Alley Comics, publishing books like Darkest Night and Project 34. His latest work, Omni No. 1, finds a lifelong comic book nerd inheriting godlike powers and struggling to find his new role in society. Omni No. 1 is live on Kickstarter through January 28th. You can support it by visiting kickstarter.com and searching for Omni. It'll pop right up. I'd like to introduce J.W. Sims. J.W., thank you for coming on and talking with us today. Well, thanks for having me. So the first thing we're going to do, like I do with all my guests, tell us a little bit about your story. Who are you and how did you get to be with us here today? Hmm, well, I, I won't give you the whole story because 40 some years is kind of long, but uh, my art started pretty early. Uh, if you go back and ask my my mom, she'll tell you that I was drawing before I was walking. But uh, in high school, I, I started a little bit um, actually and uh, after I graduated high school, I actually uh, went out to California to Homage Studios with Jim Lee about getting work out there. But at the time, my girlfriend in high school was pregnant. And I decided, well, I don't think it's a perfect time to move to California. So I came back and life went a different direction for me. And I was away from, I, I mean, I diddled with drawing and stuff. I worked as a security guard for a while and I had a comic that I had in mind. And as a security guard, you sit around for hours upon end. And so I ended up drawing about six issues of this book uh, called Darkest Night. But in the early 90s, late 90s, we didn't really know how to you know, get our books printed. It wasn't There wasn't no kablam or things like that at that point. Unless you knew how, it wasn't easy just to go out and get your own comic book made. 
so I sat on that for a while. Um, and you skip ahead till 2013. Uh, I was living in York, Pennsylvania, working for Harley Davidson, and I had gotten a, a pretty bad uh, infection in my foot. It led me to not be able to work anymore. And so I started selling art just to pay my rent and things. My brother and a friend were like, why don't you do your comic book? Why don't you do your I'm like, I don't know. But so I finally sat down. I found a writer because at that point I wasn't really confident in my writing skills. But I had an outline for this story for Darkest Night. Um, I sent it to him. Stephen Kelly was his name. And he wrote the first two issues. Uh, and I drew them. I put them out. They're actually on my uh, indie planet. And it's horrendous. I don't recommend anyone buying it. But uh, it's out there. And that got me back into doing comics. And from there, I, I started Hooligan Alley Comics in um, 2015. That's when we released the uh, first issue of Darkest Night. And then I, I had a bunch of other ideas and I started floating them around and trying to find people to work with. There's another book we have out called Fall from Grace, which I came up with the idea, but we hired a writer and an artist on that. Um, that book will hopefully go to Kickstarter after Omni's done. It, it is originally, we have two issues of that out, but they're very small. They're like 10 page stories. Um, so we decided to just put them, the first bunch of them into one book. Um, and the artist on it, he decided he wasn't happy with the original art, so he went back and redrew a lot of the pages. So if anyone who has the first two issues, the new book comes out is totally different, like art-wise. There's, there's totally new pages. In, it. in the meantime, then, I had Elsie Holt, who is probably best known. He played the, uh, the, I think it was the goat mask killer in the movie You're Next. He's been in some other movies like VHS 2. Um, he's actually making a movie right now called Time's Up. So he's a big horror type guy, like all this stuff is horror. But he contacted us and had an idea for a book that he wanted to uh, to be made. And um, I had found an artist on our um, Facebook page, our group page. I'll, every month I would ask for updates where everybody had, because I'm not like giving you deadlines, the book has to be out. I just want people to let me know that they're working on it. He was, he'd always ask me, hey, have you heard from the artist? I'm like, no, I thought you two guys were just working on it. And you would hit me up whenever, you know, you needed something. And he's like, I haven't heard back from him. And then I contacted him. I didn't hear nothing. And I knew, like, this was going to be the book. Like, LC already has a built-in audience. Like, he has his fans and everything. So I, th I was like, this is the book that we have to get out. So I decided to put Project 34 on the back burner and start drawing it. And, uh, like, two years ago, I finally had the first issue done. And we released it on Kickstarter and it failed miserably. And in the meantime, I was also I was diagnosed with cancer um, maybe four years ago. So it really slowed down my production on everything. And then Travis Gibb just kept telling me, you got to put Omni back out. You got to put Omni back out. And I was like, I don't know. I want to wait until we have, I was just going to do the trade paperback. So that's, I, and I have almost all four issues of the first arc or act done. To the point where once this one's done, I can turn around and do two. Two's completely finished. Three, I just need to finish up some stuff. And then four, I'm almost done with all the line art. So I'm hoping that this year we'll be able to have all four out and then do the um, graphic novel at the end, at this time next year. So that's what brings me here. So then I decide, you know what, I've just, one is done. I'm just going to put it out there uh, on Kickstarter. Hopefully it does better this time and I can just continue like to get the other books out 
And we're going to come back and talk about Omni real quick because I want to do a real deep dive on this uh, superhero story that you've done. Uh, but before then, I just wanted to ask you, when do you feel you made the leap from amateur artist to professional or semi-professional? Well, I guess it'd be before I started working at, at uh, Harley-Davidson. I was uh, Some stuff had happened in my personal life and I was living alone and I hadn't drawn anything for a while. We I have... At that point, I had four younger kids. Once we started having kids, I kind of put the drawing aside, except for the occasional, Dad, will you draw me this? Dad, will you draw me that kind of thing? I didn't really have time to sit down and draw a comic book. So I was by myself. I'm living in this apartment, and I just drew this picture of Boba Fett, and I put it on, on Facebook. And then all of a sudden, like overnight, I had all these people like, oh, dude, I'll pay you for that for so I can have it as a tattoo. And, and, then, and I started getting all these people like just – uh, contact me and wanted me to draw this and draw that and, yeah. and pay for it. I was like, wow, people actually want to pay me to draw. I guess that was like, if you take the literal sense of a professional artist, I guess that was the start of it. I was getting paid to draw. I don't think I actually saw myself as a professional artist until I got that first comic book in my hand that had my name on it. That, you know, that was like, I finally have something out there and someone besides me has read it, like I actually sold copies of it. That made me think, wow, I'm finally, you know, I'm selling comics. But it really hit whenever I did uh, um, Broke Down Four Dead Bodies, because that was a book that I had, you know, it wasn't my property. It was someone else who had hired me to do something on their book. And when I got those books in and saw my name on the front cover of someone else's book, you know, it was like, you know, someone else has seen my value and has paid me to do work on their book. So I, I think that was, that was uh, you know, when I finally said, okay, now I'm here. Now I can, you know, I belong here and I can work on other people's projects, not just my own. And you're releasing Omni through your own imprint, Hooligan Alley Comics. What made you set up Hooligan Alley Comics? And tell us a little bit about it. Uh, well, I guess it, it went back to, um, like I said, when I, I needed something, to, some way to make money. And uh, so I, I, we did Darkest Night. And for me to release it, I, you know, when I released it myself, I had to make up a name. Now, the Hooligan Alley thing had already was in existence from when I started selling art a few years ago. Um, I had a Facebook page, Hooligan Alley Productions is what its name was. And that was just a place where I could sell my art. Um, I actually got that from a friend who, uh, when I first, I was like, I'm going to open a page. I need some ideas to name, like my art page. And that was one of the, the suggestions. And so I, I just took that and, and went with it. And then I figured when I started doing comics, you know, I just changed it to Hooligan Alley Comics. So it's, it's really like and, and through the years, I've thought about changing it because there is another I've discovered another hooligan alley that makes comics in California. But I had in mind first. So and plus uh, my friend who, who gave me that name, uh, he passed away this past September. So I've kind of kept it as like a tribute to, to him. Next, we're going to talk about your latest work. Omni, of course. And Omni's live on Kickstarter now through 128. If you want to support it, uh, if you're a fan of cool superhero stories, it's definitely one to check out. Uh, you can check it out by visiting kickstarter.com. Uh, look up Omni in their, their search field and it'll pop right up. JW, give us the quick pitch for Omni and let's talk about it. Hmm. All right. So I'm not a writer, so I'm just going to, this is my idea just from reading the script and drunk, but Floyd Miller is just your normal a uh, 20 something comic book fan. Uh, he owns a small comic book shop. He lives in the back of the store. He's never been popular or anything like that. And he ends up, well, he's a, his favorite comic book is a comic book called mega, which ends up playing a big part in the comic book series in our series. But, um, he, you know, that's, that's something he, he wishes he could be like mega. 
but there's no such thing as superheroes in that world. Through an accident, he comes in contact with this rock who uh, it ends up giving him all these powers that are beyond anything he could ever imagine. And this story is just us following him as he, he becomes the only super-powered person in a world who's never seen a super-powered person before. So just think if, if Superman came to our world, how people would realize, there'd be people think he's a god. There's people who would be afraid of him. And there'd be governments that want to use him you know, as a weapon. That's how they would see him. And so that's the stuff that Omni has to deal with. And though he looks like he's an adult, he still has the mind of that 20-something comic book nerd. And it's just how he goes through his life with those powers. What was the initial inspiration for Omni? That you'd have to ask LC. I have no idea. Like he brought it to me. Um, when we started throwing ideas back and forth, like he already had the idea for this thing. Um, my part of the creation was actually the visual part of it. And I helped come up with the name because we were trying to think of a name. And the way he described him as a god, when I think of God, I think of omnipotent. He, he's omniscient. He's, om- he's omni-everything. So that's kind of where the title Omni comes from because to, to the world that he... The omniverse, as I've kind of put it, he's a god. You know, he's like if Zeus had come down to the planet, that's how he's seen. Yeah, but obviously uh, Omni deals with a lot of uh, superhero tropes, uh, particularly uh, the flying brick, the Superman, the Shazam, uh, that kind of character archetype. Yeah, yeah. I think when people think of superheroes, they think of Superman. You know, that's probably the first one that comes in your head. So you'd think in a world who doesn't have never seen like a superhero, of course, you're going to model your super, you know, if you become a superhero, you're going to model after whatever your favorite hero in a comic book was. Like, you know, if his, if he was reading Spider-Man since he was a kid, I'm sure it would have totally changed the way uh, Omni had, you know, appeared. The whole thing with Omni is based off of Mega, which as you read through the series, you're, you'll find more about, about that, that character as well. How did you hook up with writer L.C. Holt? Did he approach you? Did you approach him? Yeah, he, he approached me out of the blue. I I mean, I knew him from his movies, but we weren't friends on Facebook or anything. He had sent a message through the Hooligan Alley Comics um, Facebook page and, uh, you know, introduced himself, said who he was, said he had this idea for a comic. And, you know, he had it all laid out. It wanted to be 12 issues with three arcs. So it'd be four issues for each arc. And, you know, how he wanted the story kind of you know, how he saw the story go. And I, right away, it fit into some of the other stories we were working on, you know, where, you know, we have all, every book we put out really is a superhero book, but it's got a twist to it. You know, that's kind of, we're not just Superman or, you know. So, I mean, I think through the first arc, it's going to be very Superman-ish, but if you follow it to the, by the end, you'll see it has not like Superman at all. And like you said before, this is actually your second launch of Omni. Uh, your first was, I believe, in 2018? Yes, yeah. I just want you to talk a little bit about what it's like having that first Kickstarter fail and then coming back to this one, which is doing a lot better and is a lot more successful. All right. Well, yeah, um, when we launched in 2018, I didn't have any experience with Kickstarter whatsoever. But I knew if I wanted to get the book out to more people, that was probably my best bet to uh, get it out there. So without knowing anything really of how it worked, I went ahead and launched it. I tried to make a list, mailing list, and it just didn't seem like it was gaining any traction. I um, think I ended up in two weeks, I had 15 backers, uh, which really hurt. Like, because even LC, and he, he said like, this is something he really likes, but a lot of his followers aren't superhero fans, they're horror fans. 
So it was hard to kind of bring his, what I thought was going to be this built-in audience over. Because I thought, well, if they like LC, they'll just buy his stuff. And it, it was uh, eye-opening to realize that genres don't cross over. Just because you like this person doesn't mean you're going to like everything they do. So after two weeks, I just pulled the plug because I just, I mean, the writing was on the wall. It wasn't going, like it wasn't going to fun. But I still did a small print run of it. I put it on my Indie Planet site and we sold a couple copies. I mean, if you know anything about Indie Planet, it's not, it's kind of hard to grab traction on there too. And uh, I just decided, you know what, I will just can keep working on it. And I'm going to try it again later. And now in those couple of years, in those, you know, two plus years since then, I've got more into the indie comic uh, community. Um, I've learned a lot for just not even just about Kickstarter, but how comics work in general. Like you just can't draw it and throw it out there and people are going to come buy it. <laughs> so it really taught me a lot how I need to market myself. It's really marketing yourself more than the book, which is something I had to learn because if you could have Jim Lee draw your book, but if people don't believe in you as a creator, they're not going to buy it. Well, maybe if it's Jim Lee, they'll still buy it. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you could have the best book in the world, but if they if people don't believe in you as, re, as a creator, they're not going to give a crap about what you make. So it, it really took just getting into knowing other people in the community and uh, seeing how their Kickstarters worked and what they did to, to have successful Kickstarters and try to emulate that to the point, but not to the point where I'm doing exactly the same thing they did. Field of Dreams lied to us. <laughs> yeah, when they said, if you build it, they will come. That is absolutely not true. Not true at all. Uh, you need to put the work in. Uh, that said, uh, what steps did you take between your last launch and this launch that helped you build your audience and also become a bigger part of the indie comics community? Um, I, I guess it started just by like working on other people's stuff and getting to know that creator. And then through that creator, meeting other creators and backing. One of my big things is backing other people's stuff on Kickstarter. I, I put out the question last night, I think it was on Facebook about, would you back a project when you see that creator hasn't backed any other project? And uh, to me, I think that's, that's something that's important. I can understand, like, one of the things is, like I said, nobody comes, like, wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to put my book on Kickstarter today. I've never been on Kickstarter before, but I'm going to do it today. And so then you see their book and they, have no, they haven't backed anything. Well, that doesn't happen. If people who are going to put a book on Kickstarter plan it out, they've been on Kickstarter for a little while. They see how things work. So I, I really think that they need, if they want to be part of the community, you need to support the community, not just feed off the community. So that's another thing I did. I, I started uh, two years ago. I don't back a lot. I mean, I, I don't make my, I live on disability. So, you know, I can't. <laughs> I can't be a, a super backer and back, you know, 500 books, but I will back stuff usually from the, the creators I know and or if there's things that, that appeal to me. I just got something, a Kickstarter today that I backed them with two years ago. I totally forgot about it. It just shows up in the mail today. I was like, what's this? And and I was like, oh, that I back started backing that like almost two years ago and, and it finally showed up. And that, you know, so that's another thing. Like I, I realized that if you're going to run a Kickstarter, come through for the people that paid you, you know, I've had the very first thing I ever backed on Kickstarter, I never received. And it, so it kind of stung me like right away. I'm like, they just stole my money. Like I never got this. And to, to this day, I've never backed anything from them before. Now the guy who, who's one of those comics 
did his comic books, I'm friends with, and I'll back his stuff now because he's away from that, you know, the people that he was with then. But, you know, you have to build that community. And, and I think that comes with trust. You know, you have to trust each other. And going back to one of your other questions, like, you know, when did you know that you had it, that you were made? Well, I'm sure, you know, you know, the uh, Cthulhu invades Oz. You know, I was at first I was kind of hurt that Travis didn't ask me to be on that. Like, especially when I see there's like 50 creators on that. And I'm like, I'm not one of his top 50 people. But uh, at the come the end, there was a story and he and I never said this to him. I never said, hey, you know, he came to me and said, hey, I got a story. It's two page. You want to color it? And I was like, wow, yeah, I mean, I'm honored to be in that book with 50 some other you know, indie creators. Now my name's going to be beside them. And just even from that, I've met some other people who have backed my book just from me being able to do those two pages at the end after the thing was, you know, funded even. Um, I came in at the end and and was able to grab those two pages and, and meet some other people. I think it's an important lesson to remember that Kickstarter is a community. When Kickstarter started out, and like you said, it's extra bad when the first project that you ever backed just takes the money and runs. If you weren't you, and uh, if that had happened to, you know, just some, some random person, oh, this project looks cool, let's back it, and then they never receive anything, that might turn them off the platform entirely. Uh, but as far as uh, your question about, hey, uh, would you, someone have to back other projects to have me back their project? I say not necessarily, but it's definitely important to remember that Kickstarter is a community more than anything. And if you had a group of friends and you only saw one friend every time he swung by and was like, hey, guys, what's up? Hey, I need some money. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't stay friends with him for too long. Yeah, exactly. What are you excited about with this launch of Omni? Oh, I really, I, I just want to get the story out. I, I think if people give it a shot and look past it being a Superman archetype, I, th I think they'll really enjoy the story. Um, the first issue is a lot of setup, like most comic books are. And so issue one is that, you know, it has to be told, you know, you, it's, you have to, you can't get past that part. Because if you just jumped into issue two, I think you would be totally lost. Like you would have no clue what's going on. Um, with any of the characters. So we need that first issue really to set up and set up the whole why Omni is Omni and uh, get a glimpse into some of the other characters that are going to come in to play in the future. Um, so yeah, I'm just really excited for people to read it, to get it out there and to hear from people what they think about it. That way um, going forward, we know if there's like anything, you know, something that doesn't work in the story maybe, you know, cause we still have 11 more issues. Well, really, only eight more issues because I've got, I, I have four of them done. Um, but, uh, you know, if there's something that's not quite right, you know, we can go ahead and fix that. You guys are chugging along pretty great. About a third of the way to goal, you're about 30%. Uh, you're blowing the last campaign out of the water. I've got no, <laughs> and you've got plenty of time left on the clock. I mean, you just yeah. launched, you just launched, you have 31 days to go. Yeah. And so, you're already a third of the way there. I think you're going to blow past the record. I hope so. And uh, blow, blow past that finish line. Yeah. Uh, it'll, be, it'll, be a, it'll be a long race, but uh, I definitely think you got it in you. And we have some awesome stretch goals if we can get there. I have some, I have backer goals and then I have, you know, stretch goals after we get completely funded. I, I, I have like some ideas for, as I said about mega, if, if we can reach the top, our best stretch goal, you'll actually get two books because I have mega number one, which is the book that, that makes him decide to be Omni. I have that ready to go as, as like the, if we get to the top sketch stretch goal. So you'll see the book that Floyd uses to, you know, as his inspiration for Omni. 
But I think that's the cool little thing we're, we're trying to do throughout the campaign is um, every issue, there's an issue of, of mega that's kind of thrown in there. And throughout the ghouls, we're actually going to have that mega book also. So, because in theory, uh, if you read the book, uh, mega was only 10 issues in 1979. Um, so I, I'm trying to, I've got an artist who were trying to make it look like it's a comic book from the 70s. So it's not like overly rendered or, or anything like that. It's going to fit that it's a book from 1979. What else does the future hold for you and for Omni? Well, um, like I said, we have Fall from Grace, which is a book. It's written by Daniel Ham, and the art is by, I'm going to butcher his name, but it, it, it's Roy H. Houston. But I'm, I, don't, I don't know if it's pronounced like Houston. He's from the UK, so it might be some weird pronunciation. But uh, they've been working on that book for a couple of years, actually. Um, very, like I said, I don't, I don't put these hard deadlines when I say we actually had a couple of them already finished. Um, actually, I think it's about four, maybe even six issues. Uh, I'm working on coloring those right now, like I said, and we're just putting it out as one, one book. So it'd be like book one. That's not the complete story, but that'll be like, because um, each issue, when we originally came up with the idea a few years ago, I wanted to put out like short 10 they're like 10 page stories a month and then we're gonna kind of like a tv show they're gonna be episodes and then at the end of that arc we'd put out like the graphic novel and it'd come with one extra story which would be like so it'd be like you know at the end of the season you could buy the dvd and then have like a dvd extra kind of so i have that coming out this year project 34 which i'm still chugging along that book is another superhero book if you like the x-men it's very much in that line Um, i'm a huge x-men fan that was like the book that got me in the comic books back uh, Uncanny X-Men 191. And so I've always had this love of X-Men. So Project 34 is like my my love story to the X-Men. Trying to think what else. Um, there's a couple other projects I'm working on. They haven't been announced yet, just coloring. But I think in the next year, once that uh, final issue of Broke Dead, Four Dead Bodies is out and I get these little other side projects done, I'm really going to focus on our stuff, on... Uh, Hooligan Alley stuff to really get the ball rolling on that. I think so. We should have uh, the four issues of Omni out this year and the graphic novel, like I said, by the end of the well, not this year, I guess 2021, have the end, have the uh, graphic novel for Act One out. So I'm probably going to be pretty active on Kickstarter this year, just probably going to be almost one project after another, really, as as Hooligan Alley really tries to get because we have a lot of books that have that I have just been sitting on my computer because when Omni failed, it kind of like put me back because I was like, I don't know if I want to put these out because that failed. That was going to be our big book and it, and it failed. And so I've kind of been just putting everything on the back burner and start working on other people's stuff. And I think in 2021, it's time for us to put our stuff first and try to get that out there. You know, everyone tells you superhero comics don't do good on Kickstarter, but I don't know. You know, people still read superhero comic books. If people didn't read them, we wouldn't have DC and, and Marvel anymore. It's just finding those people who want to read superhero comics. JW, what have been the biggest obstacles or challenges you've had to overcome? And how did you overcome them? Well, I, I think uh, first it was myself. Um, like the thought that, you know, I'm not good enough to, to make comic books, even though I've had everybody always tell me how good my art is or how they liked it. it it's just that um, they say an artist is their worst critic. And that was definitely mine. I didn't think, you know, my st- stuff was good enough if, you know, if anybody would really want to read it. And I guess it was just putting it out there and start putting my art online on my old Facebook, which sucks because, you know, 
a few years ago, Facebook did this thing where if you did, weren't using your real name, they would like shut you down. So I had another Facebook page where it was, my name was JW. And then I had, I was part of the 501st Legion. So it was JW Moon Pie Sims. And they're like, well, that's not your real name. You need to give us proof of, I was like, I can't prove it. That's my nickname. And they shut it all down. So I've lost like everything that was on that Facebook, like all my contacts, all my, all my old art, all my pictures of my kids, all this stuff was gone. So it was just starting over. But so I have, uh, I put stuff on that Facebook page and I started a deviant art page. And I think that really helped because, you know, you have people liking your stuff that you don't even know. Like that's, I think really starts helping you is when people who aren't your friends start liking your stuff and commenting on your stuff. Cause you know, your friends will feed you if you don't mind me saying bullshit. Cause <laughs> they'll want, you know, your friends usually aren't gonna say, man, that sucks. Like that, that's bad. Um, they're all, everyone's going to tell you how good it is. So getting, I guess, uh, recognition from the outside really started. Um, and then, you know, I had, I came in contact with some artists who bigger name artists and things like that. And when I was, a, I was able to do some stuff for DC comics a few years ago, um, nothing, nothing major and mainly all promo stuff. And, you know, just, you know, stuff that colorists do to get their foot in the door, um, you know, some flatting and things like that. But uh, that really is like, wow, like, you know, some people have actually started noticing my stuff. And then with the cancer and everything, like I said, that really shut everything down for the last four years. Um, I was really right before the cancer. I actually just was getting ready to sign like an exclusive thing with DC. I was like, I told him, I was like, I don't know. I, you know, I can't do this because I know how sick I'm going to get in the next couple months and I'm not going to make deadlines. So. Luckily, well, at that point, my editor was like, hey, we understand that, that, you know, you can get in touch with us again after you know, everything's over. And uh, earlier this year, then DC, he was one of those guys from DC that let go. So I was like, son of a mother. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, so I guess to get back to the question, like I had to get over myself, like um, that I wasn't good enough and just continually putting my stuff out there, even though if I thought it was good or if it wasn't, even to this day, I think I just put a picture on, I colored the other day and I don't really like it. Like I said, you know, someone contacted, that's all, that looks awesome. I said, yeah, but I, I, I don't know if I got the, the blue, the, you know, overlay of the blue, right. I mean, it, it took out all the rendering on the skin, you know, but if I wouldn't have told them that they wouldn't, have, you know, they would have said, Hey, that looks awesome. But you know, as the person did, I'm like, Oh, I'm not happy with this or happy with that. So it's just getting over your own self, I think. Uh, creatively, what do you feel has been your biggest mistake? That's tough. Um, it's always harder to like figure out what you did wrong than what you did right. I think, I, I think launching before you know launching Omni before I was ready because you know that was a big mental setback for me because you know I I really expected to just be able to sell it on the writer's name on Elsie Holt's name and have all of his people come and back at the comic book. So that's probably the biggest thing was learning that. You know, I have to do some work. I can't just expect, oh, if there's a new comic book, let's go go read it. It's it's really putting the work in well before you launch. During the during the campaign, I mean, I've watched Travis because you know I've been with him now for a couple of years and just watched him bust his butt every day just to you know get his comic funded. Then all the work afterwards, like just because you're funded doesn't mean it's over. You know, you got now you have all the you have to worry about getting all the all the stuff out to people and making sure you fulfill those things and, and not sit on it for, you know, make excuse after excuse after excuse. That's one of the things that I decided a while ago 
Um, when I do a Kickstarter, I want the book to be relatively done before I launch a Kickstarter. Because like I said, I've sat on some Kickstarters. I think it was like maybe the third book I backed. It's, I still haven't gotten it. I get updates every once in a while that this is going on and this is going on. And it's because they launched a Kickstarter before the book was even a couple pages done. And it and people think, you know, they see Marvel and DC can put out a book once a month. Um, but they don't realize that. I think a lot of people don't realize those books that you read today were done six months ago. It takes a few months to uh, build up to that launch date. Like, they, you know, you can't just build up. Oh, I'm going to put a book on Kickstarter. It's not done yet, but by the time the Kickstarter's over, I'll have it in your hands. It's not going to work. Yeah, no, unless that book is done or you've put significant legwork into doing that. Yeah, every every <laughs> launch that I've done actually has been, uh, well, with the exception of Time Nomad, was the book was done and it was all but sent to, sent to the printer. The good thing with, I mean, I've, I've been thinking about changing the lettering in Omni just because... I did the lettering and I don't know how to letter, but if I decide not to, to have it re-lettered first, it'll, like I told somebody yesterday, they contacted me if I need a letter. I said, it all depends on if it funds or not, because I can't move forward with anything if it doesn't fund. It's been at the printer for two years. All I have to do is send them new covers and I can have it sent out in you know two weeks, pretty much, you know, because they already have the book. I just got to update the file. It's like, oh, here's some new covers and whatever. And they can yeah. ship it right out to me. But, uh, yeah, I, I always believe that you should at least have the book, at least most of the way finished before you try to do a Kickstarter because nobody wants to back something and wait two years to get their book. Or even longer than that in some cases. We've been dwelling on uh, kind of the negative for a little while, um, and I just wanted to flip the script. What has been your best moment? Personally, um, like I said, when I got that that first issue of Broke Down on Four Dead Bodies and seen Sims on the front cover, that was, I, I don't even have words for it because that was, even the stuff I did for DC a lot of times, as a flatter and as you know, someone who's just coloring promo stuff, you don't get recognition for that. Like you're not going to be able to go find my name on anything in DC comics because they don't recognize those people usually. And uh, so to actually get a book that I had no like really investment in, you know, I didn't write it. I didn't draw it. I didn't produce it. I wasn't anything on to actually have somebody come to me and say, hey, will you color my book and then have my name on it? And that wasn't the first thing I ever colored. I mean, I've colored some stuff for some other people, but they've never sent me their book. Like they never sent me a copy of the book. If I wanted it, I had to buy it. And uh, I just was like, ah, I got the, the pages I colored. And, you know, I don't really care if I have the book. Like I still have the, the actual pages that I colored. So I didn't expect to feel that way when I got that book and to see my name on it. And to know that Travis is, you know, it isn't just like, um, you know, just him and his friends reading it and has my name on it. Like it's in comic book stores and it's, you know, people all over have, have read Travis's stuff. So uh, it was, it felt really good to see that, to have that recognition, I guess. What has been the best advice that you've received? Well, uh, I, I will say technically as a colorist, when I first started, like, I just drew stuff. I didn't really into coloring. I've actually only started coloring a handful of years ago, I think. Um, and when I started, I had no idea. I've never even touched Photoshop. Actually, the first comic book we have, um, Darkest Night, I didn't even color that with Photoshop. It was colored in, the heck is that, GIMP? If you know, GIMP is like the free Photoshop. I mean, I had no idea how to use anything. So I would just watch YouTube videos, how to color comics. And uh, it's kind of how I, I learned that. You know, I just Google, how do you color comics in GIMP or something like that? And, and then... Oh, I'd say probably, I don't remember, 1,000. It was, it was after I, with my cancer and stuff, I found K. Michael Russell, 
on, on YouTube because he was one of the people. And then he had coloring courses. And I went and I signed up for those and it just blew my mind. Like everything I was doing wrong, like everything. I had no idea about color theory, warm colors, cool colors, anything like that. Like, and he just, it, it really like uh, opened my eyes to how coloring was complete art by itself. Like to, before that, I just thought people colored comic books, like a coloring book pretty much, you know? So having him like as a mentor, which is good because if there's anything I don't understand or I went back just recently and watched the videos again. And I'm like, how did I not catch this the first time I watched? It? So I um, just being able to go to him and you know get his advice. And then also um, Brian Miller um, from Hi-Fi Colors, who does a lot of DC work, being able to just share stuff with him. They've really helped me understand how coloring works. Like I said, it's not just throwing colors on a, on a picture and say, oh, well, that looks like it's supposed to look. And I guess really discovering that I, I think coloring comics is a lot harder than drawing as someone who does both. Because if I want to draw the, a picture, I just draw it, you know, whatever. But now when a colors comes in, let's say you you drew this battle scene and there's all this like dirt and little rocks that are thrown up. That's nothing for someone to just go in and put little circles and little dots and stuff. Now, as the colors comes in, I got to separate all that. I mean, a colorist pretty much redraws, at least the way I was trained to color, redraws everything. Like we have to go around with the lasso tool and, you know, outline everything again that you've drawn. So a lot of times people see me complain about line weight and they're like, I'm like, if you don't understand, I got to turn around and I've got to like take a, a little line and go across there. And if you drew a line that's barely visible, you know, it's kind of hard for me to stay within that line. I'm using that lasso tool to go around there. I like anime stuff where they have the nice big 10 point outline around characters. But yeah, I guess it's nothing specific. It's just um, being able to have those professional people who are open to help people like, you know, people who are just coming in. Because there's some some people who are professionals who don't help you. When I first started, when I wanted to learn Photoshop, there was a couple artists. Uh, they're not thing like super artists, but, you know, I knew them. I'd say, how do you do, like, how do you color in Photoshop? And they're like, one guy's like, well, you, you your art has to get better before you do even worry about that. I was like, really? I sell more art than you do. <laughs> I don't, you know, so I was like, you know what? Unfriended. <laughs> I don't even talk to you anymore because acting that way doesn't help anybody. I'm not the world's greatest colorist or anything, but I have people come to me and say, how do you do this? How do you do that? I'll be happy to tell you. I'll even like show you stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll tell you where to go. It's not a competition to me. Like, you know, I just, I like to draw. I like to color. If you like my stuff, great. If not, that's fine. There's a million other people out there doing it. So I don't see the harm in helping someone who's coming up behind you. It does. It only makes the comic industry better to have more people who can do it at, at, a, at a higher level. You know, um, By holding those people down, you're not helping anybody. Because what's going what's to happen? That person's going to see your name somewhere and then they're going to say, oh, I asked that guy to help me one time. and He wouldn't help me. And, you know, so then that gets around. <laughs> And then you're looking for a job. They're like, oh, yeah, we heard you have a bad attitude. We don't want you working on our project. You know, so I think just having those people who are above us, who will give us help when we need it, some something, you know, just to bring them along. And I think we owe it to do it to the ones coming up behind us. Um, I, I love to see a younger artist, especially someone who's like maybe in not even high school yet, whose art is uh, that they're trying to get their art out there because, you know, at that age, I was not showing my art to anybody. 
<laughs> I mean, of course, you're probably from the age I did. We didn't, if we took comic books to school, we got made fun of. I mean, I've had many a comic book destroyed from kids in school because, you know, that's what geeks and, and nerds do is read comic books. So I'm always you know, glad to help somebody coming up, just like I'm, I'm glad to have the people ahead of me who will take the time out of their day. And, and not to change the subject, one of the best first people to do it, I will tell you, is Brett Booth on Twitter. I mean, Brett right now, I mean, I've been following him since his early image days on Stormwatch. But I don't know how many times people will draw something and tag him on, on Twitter and ask him his opinion on it. And not only will he tell them what they did wrong, he'll redraw their picture to show them the right way to do it. You know, he's not sitting at home doing nothing all day. You know, right now he's working on X-Men. He's working on his own two. He has two comic books he's working on. <laughs> Plus, he's always he's always on something. DC's always coming around for him to do something. So it ain't like he's sitting around just waiting for you to tweet him. But I've never seen him once turn somebody down. If they ask for his opinion or how they can fix something, that he, he'll go ahead and do it. For everyone listening, Omni number one. It is live on Kickstarter now through January 28th. Uh, you can go support it by go visiting kickstarter.com. Go look up Omni in their search field. It's going to pop right up. JW, where else can we find you online? Uh, like I said, I do have a website. It's a little outdated. I'm working on getting it back up, but that's hooliganallycomics.com. Also, I'm on Instagram. Now, this is going to throw some people off. It's at hoolagan underscore alley underscore cosplay because I was... I'm also a cosplayer, so but since the cons and stuff have been down, it's pretty much all of my art. But Hooligan Alley Comics also has an Instagram, which I have terrible at upkeeping, but it's at hooligan underscore alley underscore comics. Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram I, and on, on Twitter, it's at jwsims34. And uh, we'll put those links in the show note and description below. JW, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me today. Well, thank you for having me, and I hope everyone gets a chance to read Omni. I think you'll really enjoy it. If you know a creator that makes comic books or any other media and think they'd be a good fit for the show, drop us a line at underthemaskshow at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Under the Mask Podcast with Bill Colomb. Welcome to the family. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you've found the right podcast for you. Thanks for listening, and make sure to like or leave a review, and we'd appreciate it if you'd tell a friend or two. To reach out, visit us at underthemaskpodcast.com. This has been a presentation of Why Comics. Till next time, this is the Under the Mask Podcast, signing off.